Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. And today, you don't want to miss this episode until the tire end because Laura is going to share her weight loss journey with us. And as you know, we've had many different people share their weight loss journeys with us, and many different people do it in many different ways. Laura is going to tell us how she's tried many, many diets over the years and failed many, and how keto actually worked for her. So, Laura, without further ado, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Well, tell us a little bit about your journey, and it goes back basically into your adult life that you've been struggling with your weight your entire adult life. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, all through high school, they called me Boney Maroney because I was so thin, and probably about my freshman year in college, something shifted metabolically, and I put on that freshman 10, and then it turned into the freshman 20, and then it turned into the sophomore 40, and before I knew it, I had gone all the way up to about 185 pounds down from, or from about 125. And um, I couldn't get it off. And it just progressively got worse and worse. Um, I got married and had my first baby, baby. And after that, all bets were off. It's so hard to lose weight after giving birth. So. And what kind of diets did you try to lose weight? Well, I remember when I was growing up in the 80s, uh, I was a teenager in the 80s, and I remember Susan Powders, I think her name was, and she was always talking about if it didn't have any fat, you could eat as much as you want of it. It didn't matter how many baked potatoes, it didn't matter how much fruit, <laughs> as long as it didn't have fat in it, you could eat it. And so I was of the mindset, if there was no fat, I could eat it. So there was low-fat cookies and low-fat chips and low-fat breads and cereals. As long as it didn't have fat, well, as far as I knew, it wasn't bad for you. That's what I've been told. That was the food pyramid. That's right. And <laughs> we learned that for, for many, many years. I'm about, I'm about the same age as you, and that's what I grew up, and fat was bad. You know, stay okay. away from fat. So um, tell us what you finally found, who you finally found, and how that changed your life and what you did, what he helped you do. <laughs> so I, I've been really blessed by having a wonderful doctor. Uh, I don't know if he's as blessed as I am because he has to put up with me, but um, he's been my doctor for about 21 years. I found him, thankfully, um, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression after the birth of my first child. And I had gone to two other doctors and both of them female and both of them had totally disregarded the postpartum depression that I was struggling with. And I got in to see uh, Dr. Lehman and he he diagnosed me and he worked with me and he sat with me and he followed me through my, my 20s and my early 30s. He actually delivered my middle daughter. I think she was the last child he delivered when he was oh, that's delivering awesome. children. Yeah, so and now she's 18 years old. So that's kind of cool. Um, but my doctor, I remember working with him to try and lose weight. I had developed hypertension after I had my third baby and, uh, I kind of randomly out of the blue, I never had had blood pressure issues until I gave birth and I developed postpartum preeclampsia, I believe is what they call it. And so he started treating me for that. And he always kind of said, you know, we need to get your weight under control. We need to make some changes. I remember specifically him telling me probably about 12 years ago, calorie in, calorie out. So I always tried to live by that. If I ate 
I had to exercise or have a, an output of energy somewhere equivalent there too, or extra to lose weight. And so for years I tried that and my weight just continued to go up and go up. And, and my doctor was super supportive. He never, he was never um, discouraged. He always continued to encourage me. So I found that very um, rewarding in the relationship that we had that even when I failed, he was my cheerleader which was really great. So mm -hmm. finally about, I want to say about five years ago, he started, I believe his own journey into low carb and keto for his own personal reasons. And I remember him talking to me about it and I thought, Oh, there's, there's no way I could do this. There's no way. It's just, it's crazy. How can you cut out carbs? How can you do this type of thing? And uh, for a couple of years, he would plant the seeds and talk to me about it. And I would try it maybe for a week or two and I'd get discouraged and I'd go right back to my normal ways of eating. And he continued to encourage me. And finally, about just over two years ago, I had some test results that came in and I had fatty liver. I had, um, of course, the hypertension. We were increasing my medication for that because uh, that's one of those things that you just continue to increase the medication. Unfortunately, um, I had... Um, Glucose levels were good, but he did an insulin test and that insulin test came back pretty darn high. I think it was either 22 or 24. And he basically said within the next five years, if you don't do something different, you're going to end up full blown insulin dependent. And that really scared me because I had lost my um, grandmother with diabetes and stuff like that. So um, it was a real come to Jesus moment for me and him. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to try it. And I said, okay. And uh, I gave it a shot. And with his support and answering my stupidest questions, um, he just cheer cheered me on and here I am. Now, uh, if it hadn't been for that support though, I believe the tribe is a very important thing having a doctor, having a friend, having a coach, having somebody that believes in what they're talking to you about and having your back when you're having a hard time being strong, that's what makes or breaks it for you to be able to follow through. Absolutely. And unfortunately, Laura, there's not a lot of doctors like Dr. Lehman. Um, most doctors just kind of kick the can down the road and keep increasing people's medications and they don't tell them the truth. They don't say, hey, look, um, you need to lose weight. Um, just keep giving them more medication. That's not the answer. And to those of you that were wondering about insulin levels, so anything over 15, even 15 is high, anything over 15 is really, really bad. So being 22, she was on a road to diabetes for sure. So Laura and Lindsay, if you can stream the pictures of Laura, both before and after. Laura, what weight did you start out at when you started this whole journey? Well, the last weight that I know for sure that I can verify was 265 pounds. I kind of avoided the scale because it was a mental issue. Every time I would step on the scale, it would just devastate me for days seeing what the true number was. But when I started this journey, I, I stepped on the scale and it was 265 pounds. I believe it was a little bit higher, but that's the number I'm starting with was 265. Wow. And over a course of how long did you finally get to your goal weight and and how long did and how long did it take you and what was your goal weight? Uh, I really didn't have a goal weight. The way that Dr. Lehman and I discussed it is when you are no longer on your medication for hypertension, when your insulin level is low, when your A1C is a, in a lower acceptable range, 
And when you feel good, that's when you know when you're supposed to stop trying to lose weight. So I, I set the goal of 150 pounds just so I had a goal number mm-hmm. on the scale. And that was a reasonable um, goal for me to, to shoot for. So basically, it was 115 pounds was my goal. Uh, the first two months, my insulin level actually went up versus going down on keto, which was very frustrating. I was ready to quit. And again, my doctor encouraged me just to stick with it. And he said, let's try adding in some um, intermediate fasting. And that's when things really started shifting for me for weight loss. I probably lost about 20 pounds the first three months. A lot of it water weight, of course. Um, But after I added in the fasting and I started learning about what insulin does, how it affects your body, how keeping it low for longer periods of time um, can actually help you lose weight. Then that's when the weight loss finally started kicking in because once my insulin came down, my body could tap into the ketosis side of it. And I enjoyed being in ketosis. It was a it was a really good um, experience. When you got to your goal weight of 150 pounds, were you off all the medications then? Or, uh, or, I mean, were your numbers looking better and, and your yes. blood pressure? So we gradually reduced my blood pressure medicine. I remember the first time I went in and he said, okay, we're going to cut it, cut it in half. So I went from 20 milligrams down to 10 milligrams. And then three months later, we tested it again, um, my blood um, pressure. And he said, okay, we're going to cut it in half again. And I got down to five milligrams. And then I remember I went back again three months later. So he kept an eye on me every three months just to make sure that I was uh, doing okay metabolically by the numbers and not doing anything too drastic or, or having any issues. He really monitored me the entire process. I remember the day he told me I was going to come off the meds. I was so excited. I came home and I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and that was a great feeling. And just think, if you didn't make those changes, you would still be on those meds for the rest yeah. of your life. Well, and I was—I had just started the metformin. He put me on some metformin uh, when we had that that come to Jesus moment, mm-hmm. and that was a horrible medication. I struggled with that; it made me so so sick. And I don't know how people can take it for the rest of their lives. It just—it's a really hard medication to take. Yeah, nausea is a very common side effect of metformin for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then I guess it does something to your microbiome too that I had no clue about until further on in my journey. So yeah, many medications have a problem with that. Yeah, and we, we don't look at those side effects and those you know we don't look at a lot of those side effects, um, a long term consequences of taking medication like that. So especially with diseases that you can modify with lifestyle, why wouldn't we do that instead of prescribing medication, right? Yeah, yeah, and I had no idea that you could actually reverse. Uh, type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes or insulin resistance because I've always heard it's a progressive disease that once you have it it just progresses and you just have to learn to deal with it my brother is actually a full-blown diabetic and he unfortunately hasn't made any changes in his life and I can see the disease progressing with him and the reason the disease progresses is just because people keep treating their bodies horribly. That's usually the case. And I will tell you, coming from a pharmacist, and my wife's a pharmacist also, we truly do not believe in long-term medication to treat type 2 diabetes. It, it is a lifestyle a lifestyle um, disease. And even if you get it from 
maybe I mean, when it's not necessarily lifestyle, it is still a carbohydrate metabolism disease, which means this, you cannot process carbs for whatever reason. Um, you know, usually it's just because you're insulin resistant, but I mean, the simple fix to that, maybe it's not simple, but maybe it is just don't eat carbs. That's a simple fix. Right. right? But it, it, in this day and age though, we are in such a food eccentric society. There's, we have a plethora of food. Nobody wants, I mean, most people don't want for anything in all honesty and carbohydrates are cheap. You can walk into any grocery store and there are just food bombs everywhere of carbohydrates and they're they're inexpensive. So if you don't have a lot of money, what do you go towards? You go towards the cheap carbohydrates. And we've been told that that's what's good for us. Yeah, that is true. Although I will argue this, um, Laura, is that, you know, people say that it's expensive to eat healthy. And first of all, you can either pay now or pay later is one of the things. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing. You know, it's it's inexpensive insurance to eat healthy. Second of all, um, you know, ground beef and, you know, uh, chicken is not that expensive. No, it's really not. not. And you know what? I don't normally do this because we just don't buy it, but I could eat a bag of potato chips. And you know what's a bag of potato chips? Five bucks. And I would not even feel full. I could eat a bag of Captain Crunch, a box of Captain Crunch cereal. What is that stuff? Like five bucks? And I would not feel full. I dare myself to eat a pound of ground beef, which would be what? A couple dollars, maybe? Right. On sale, even even less. So Yeah, on sale, a lot less. And if you're eating sausage, you know, sausage is even cheaper. So, you know, it does, food, eating healthy does not have to be expensive. Um, eating processed foods gets really expensive because it doesn't have any – you don't get satisfied from it. There's no satiety from it. That's one of the problems of why we can overeat processed foods. Well, and you just eat a larger quantity. I always tell people that it really kind of balances out in, in, in the end. A, I'm not buying all the extra stuff so I can put the money towards the better quality food. And then I just don't eat as much because I'm not as hungry. I'm not having the constant ups and downs with the blood right. glucose that makes me want to eat every three hours. So if I'm only eating two meals a day, which is usually what I do, I have my coffee in the morning, I'll have a small snack around lunchtime, and then I'll have you know, a nice meal. I've actually saved money because my food budget has just dropped drastically because I'm just Absolutely. not eating the quantity of it. Right, right. So you went from 260 all the way down to 125, is that correct? Mm -hmm. 265 to 125, yep. So 140 pounds. Yes, and That's I earned every single pound of that coming yes, off, she, let me tell you. <laughs> yes, you did. Well, congratulations on that. You, I'm sure you feel much better, and you changed your life. I mean, for sure. Um, you know, I'm sure just your day-to-day -day activities have definitely changed, correct? Absolutely. And I also changed my husband's life. He decided he was going to do the journey along with me. He lost about 70 pounds. My son, who has also high insulin, we got him tested. He's lost about 30 pounds. My son-in-law, I believe, has lost about 30 pounds on keto. So it's kind of become a family thing that we're all doing together, which is really nice, too. But yeah, my day-to-day my -day life is is immensely better. I wake up in the morning, I have energy. Um, I can I can get up. I mean, the little things that you take for granted, getting out of a chair and not hurting or aching, or I had plantar fasciitis really bad in my feet. And I've now learned that that can be caused by inflammation. And I strongly believe that that's what caused it. 
but I couldn't even get out of the chair and walk because I had plantar fasciitis or I couldn't stand in line at my kid's school and do something because my feet hurt so bad or my knees were hurting so bad. Um, I've struggled with headaches and migraines my whole life. Those are still there, but they're getting better. They're changing, thankfully. Uh, but I'm not dealing with four migraines a week. I'm dealing with maybe one or two a month now, which is just life changing to be able to have my life back. Yeah. And I don't think many people don't realize, I mean, sometimes it's rather obvious about some of the things that can get better um, when we change our diets, you know, whether it be our, our blood pressure or diabetes or, you know, your knees or feet hurting. I, I get that. That should be rather obvious, although it's not always. Um, you know, I mean, many people get knee surgeries and really they just need to lose weight. I mean, that's honest to gosh truth. Right. And, and, and what about plantar fasciitis? I mean, how many people get all kinds of procedures and all kinds of special orthotics and stuff? And it's like, well, you know, when you're carrying an extra 140 pounds around, your feet aren't meant to carry that much weight. So, of course, you're going to hurt. Absolutely. And it did. It, it hurt. I also think there was a mental aspect to it, too. I struggled with anxiety. Um, I had postpartum depression, obviously. Um, but I really had, like, the acute anxiety and that has gotten better, believe it or not, since changing my diet. Um, I used to go to the dentist and I hated going to the dentist. And they would have to give me the uh, laughing gas, I think it mm -hmm. is. Nice um, mm -hmm. Yes, because I would get so anxious sitting there. I don't need that anymore. For some reason, something has shifted, even mentally, where the, the acute anxiety feels even more under control. And I don't know if there's any science behind that. I have absolutely no idea. But it's an observation um, when I'm out in crowds, I don't get as claustrophobic. I still get claustrophobic in the MRI tube. That did me in. But um, being out in crowds and things like that, just those little things has also shifted mentally. Well, those are some of the less than obvious things when we lose, mm -hmm. when we not just lose weight, but change our diets that can be affected. I mean, headaches and mental, mm -hmm. mental acuity and depression. I mean, think about that. Anxiety. It actually... When you think about it scientifically, it makes sense. Is there any science mm -hmm. to prove it? There probably is, but let's just be rational about it. Um, does it matter what we eat when it comes to our mind? Of course it does. I mean, neurotransmitters are made all the time in our bodies. If we give it proper fuel to make the proper neurotransmitters, I think we'll all be better off. And just in general, stressing about being overweight and getting doing the day-to-day -day activities, that alone can cause anxiety. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. I always hated, I, I loved being active with my kids' school, but I always hated being the fat mom. And I was. I was the, the fat mom that would go to the classes and bring all the cupcakes for the kids, and they all loved me, but I was self-conscious. I had the anxiety about who I was and what I felt like and what I looked like. So, yeah. That, that's also a big aspect of it, too. So how have you noticed um, other people changing around you? I mean, did, did, did you motivate any of your friends or encourage or inspire any of your friends after you went keto and lost weight? Well, of course, I, I motivated my family. My husband, he's lost 70 pounds, uh, which is crazy. We were just talking about last night. When he was in the military, he struggled with weight, and he would have to be roped and choked. I don't know if you know what that is, but they would have to measure his neck and, and everything, and he had to fit into these certain requirements and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, I'm 46 years old and now I could have done it easily had I known. Yeah. So obviously he's made some changes. Um, 
I do believe I've made some impact on some some people in my life. I started a small little keto group where I share my journey with people. I tell them what I'm cooking, what I'm eating, what I'm feeling, because feelings and emotions play a lot into this as well. And I share it with them. And I, I get some encouragement um, and some good feedback from people. I think support groups with anything are, are very important. Um, and we talk about it a lot of times with addiction. Can you talk about carbohydrate addiction? You really believe that carbo- you can get addicted to carbohydrates, correct? Absolutely. I didn't believe it until I realized that I was in the throes of the addiction. It was one of those things that you said, how can I be addicted to something like food? How can I be addicted? And I realized it wasn't so much this, the moment of like sitting there and eating it. It was the high that my body got off of whether it was the sugar or, or the enjoyment of taking in the food that I was eating. There was a, there was a physical high that I got off of it. Didn't realize it until I stepped back from it and said, whoa, what's going on? But then I also remember before I started my journey, I would be upset about something and I would go to Jack in the Box and I would buy tacos and I would sit in the parking lot and I would eat in my car where nobody could see me. And I thought, wow, that that's not very smart either. If I am hiding this from my family, there's something more going on there more of an addiction you know how when people are addicted to things they try to hide it right and it it was this it was the same concept for me i i would try to hide the food or how i felt about it there was one time i was even sleepwalking and eating and i would yell at my kids about leaving food on the counter it was me who was sleepwalking and eating granola bars in the middle of the night i guess i got a high off of them or something i don't know i know it was crazy now do you still have those cravings Absolutely not. And that was the first thing that really shifted for me was the cravings stopped. It probably took a good six weeks for the, the sugar cravings to shop, stop. But my my um, poison wasn't so much sugar. It was um, chips and salty foods, which turn into sugar in your body. Your body doesn't know the difference between a cookie and, and a bag of Doritos, really, when it processes it. It's all junk. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> and, and it breaks it all down in the same junk. I mean, that's really what it does. But I didn't, I mean, I didn't realize that I just did. I thought, you know, sugars and pastries were different than chips and salsa. And it's, it's really not It all comes down to the same thing. And then fruit, the same thing. I, I like fruit, but I also realized we're not meant to eat it year round. It's meant to be there during the summer months to fatten you up for the leaner times and, and moderation for those types of things are, are very important because your body doesn't process it different. It just processes it. And it doesn't understand a calorie in calorie out either. Well, and that's one of the things that, you know, our modern day food system, whether it be uh, refrigeration or whether it be transport, um, you know, like you say, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, you couldn't get watermelon in January. Right. You, you, you probably couldn't get bananas in January. Um, you know, but now you can get anything you want, um, year round. Yeah. And so what's a typical day look like you about how you eat and what you eat? Cause you talked about intermittent fasting too. So what's typical day look like? So I, I actually enjoy intermittent fasting. For me, it was um, 
a device I use to only have to face my food demons, which is what I call them. Having to make those choices in the beginning were, was really hard. Having to choose between grabbing a box of Cheez-Its or having some bacon and eggs, which took effort. I had to cook them. I had to make them. I had to do the effort to make it. Or I could grab the box of Cheez-Its or the Captain Crunch and go sit down and be good. Uh, so for me, it was a very conscious decision to add in the fasting so that I only had to face my food demons once or twice a day. Um, now I'm to the point where I'm just not as hungry, but I'll start my day out with coffee with heavy cream. I can't do black coffee. I've tried it and I know so and, many people struggle with that. Yeah, I'm the same way. And my wife, she could drink black coffee all day long, but I need something in it. So I usually put stevia and cream in my coffee. Well, my husband's a Navy man and he's like, I can't believe you would ruin that coffee with that cream in there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so gross. Anyway, so I still have the heavy cream. Sometimes I will use some stevia drops depending on what, I, what I'm feeling that day. And then I, I go to work and because I'm in ketosis, my day just kind of um, goes about it. I don't obsess and think about food all day long. I listen to my body cues and when my body says, hey, I'm hungry, I'll stop and I'll think, okay, am I hungry or am I bored? Am I tired? Right. Am I frustrated? Am I angry? Am I down? Uh, is it hormonal? Is it that time of the month? Why is it that I'm hungry? And then I listen for the cues. If I'm really hungry, my body will say I'm really hungry and not with a stomach growl. I, I can tell when I'm hungry. And so when I'm hungry, I eat. But when I'm not hungry, I find something other to, other to do with my time so that I don't mindlessly eat. Well, I think one thing about that is, too, is that you have to train yourself to do that. It takes about three months or so mm -hmm. to change any habit. And, and just like eating, you know, people say, oh, I just can't do one meal a day. And I, I know there's arguments in there that's, you know, some people argue, oh, five small meals a day is better than one big one or whatever. And, you know, that works for some people. I will tell you that doesn't necessarily work for me because I have a hard time having a small meal. I like eating a lot of food when I eat a lot of food. So one meal a day mm -hmm. actually works pretty well for me, mm -hmm. depending on what my activity level is. Um, but it takes a while to get to that stage. I mean, you didn't just all of a sudden say, oh, I can only eat one that time a day, right? No, I started uh, pushing breakfast. Uh, my doctor had me push breakfast back an extra hour every day or every two or three days. So I, instead of eating at eight, I would eat at nine. And three days later, I push it back to 10. The next thing I knew it was lunchtime. So I had just skipped, skipped my breakfast. Um, and then I did the same thing with lunch. I would have lunch and then kind of pushed it back and pushed mm -hmm. it back to the point where it was more of a snack at two o'clock. Like I'd have a yogurt or um, some salami and cheese or, or something or some olives or something around 2, 2.30. And then I would have dinner between 4 and 6 p.m. And uh, for me too, uh, when I start eating, I want to eat until I am full. So I have to be careful with the snacking because it does trigger me wanting to eat more. Mm -hmm. So that is something I do have to be aware of because snacking is so easy. There's there's food right over here and I could just go grab it if I wanted it. I don't have to go dig it out of the ground. I don't have to go kill it. I don't have to go pick it. Um, it's it's super easy to get. So I have to I have to watch that part of the addiction side of it. Yeah. And so what would a typical meal look for you, look like for dinner for your one meal a day? What would that look like? Well, I like to cook. So Pinterest became my best friend on finding keto recipes. And it would depend on what I had in the house. Um, 
Today, I had a big taco salad with lots of meat and cheese and veggies. Um, last night, we had steak and wedge salads with homemade pickles. The night before, we had carne asada with homemade queso sauce that we made. So I do a lot of cooking from scratch, and that is the har a harder part. It's not easy to just come home and say, I need to eat right this second. I have to put some thought into it, but that's okay because then I know I'm getting whole foods. I'm not getting something out of a package and I know that it's going to feed and nourish my body, not just fill my stomach. That's right. And another thing about that is I think one of the reasons it's so easy to overeat processed foods, not only because they're not satisfying, but also because you don't have to process them. Um, you know, let's talk about, you know, your dinner that you, that you made if all of a sudden you and your family ate all that food, uh, you're not going to go back and make more. It's just too much work. Well, exactly. Right? Exactly. Whereas it's a lot of work. If you're having processed foods, it's just like, oh, I'll just get another one out of the freezer or I'll get another one out of the pantry and put it in the microwave or put it wherever. That's the problem with processed foods is because you don't have to process it, it's really easy to overeat it. Yeah, and then your body also processes it out really quickly and can give you some just or does um, digestive issues, which I've noticed a big difference too. Eating whole foods and processed foods. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so tell me, you're not always in ketosis. You and especially now that you're kind of in the maintenance phase, you're kind of in and out of ketosis. Can you explain that a little bit? So, for the first 16, 18 months, I did stay in ketosis the whole time only because it was a sweet spot that I felt good in and I felt safe in because I knew I was controlling my sugars. I knew my insulin was down and I felt good in ketosis. So when I finally reached my goal weight, yes, I started doing a little more cycling, not really carb cycling per se, but I started allowing myself a little bit more, whether I was at a friend's house and they were serving something that maybe wasn't keto friendly, I would have a very small portion with it. And that was, a, I think, more of a mindset that I can I do this and not go back to my old habits of wanting to eat the whole thing? Can I have just a small portion? Because it was something I was never taught growing up. Well, and it, it, you, again, you got to teach your body to do that. I mean, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, one of the things, you know, you and I growing up, when we were kids, we were always taught to eat everything on our plate, right? Absolutely. And my grandmother used to come up behind me with a spoon and food and say, would you like some more? And it was already on my plate before I could say no. And you didn't say no to grandma. You ate what no. she gave you. And, and grandma grew up in the depression where they didn't have <laughs> excess food. So, they were trying to eat as much as they could because there might have been a time where they didn't have food. And, and largely, I think you alluded to it earlier, those of us in America, mo most anybody in America just has access to way, way too much food. And if people don't believe that, then they have not looked at the, at, at the obesity epidemic because, um, you know, even people that say they're poor in America are obese. Well, in my opinion, I know this is not going to go over well, but in my opinion, you can't be fat and be overweight because you have excess food. You want to see people that are really poor in starving countries like Africa. They're not overweight. They're very, very thin because they don't have excess food. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a very, it's, it's a hard dynamic in our country because 
access to quality food is lacking in, in certain parts, um, but there's not a lack of food. It's, I would say, more of a lack of quality food right. for people who really need it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is for sure. So how did you know you were in ketosis? Were you checking it via strips or did you just know because you could taste it in your mouth? How did you know? So uh, the first time I realized I was in ketosis, my doctor had a little keto mojo monitor and showed me how to do that. I went and I ordered one. Um, and so I would maybe check it every few days just to see how food was affecting me and, and things like that. Um, but yes, you can taste like almost a metallic flavor in your mouth every once in a while in the very beginning phases that does go away. Um, that and then the brain fog is completely gone usually when you're in ketosis, which is really, really nice. After spending several years of my adult years in brain fog, um, it feels really good to have a lot of clear mental clarity that you just don't get. And until you've crossed over from getting away from the process, which you don't realize you're in a brain fog until you get there. So. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what is what is the future? Are you going to just eat keto the rest of your life? You know, I think I kind of have to. There's a few. I mean, I like the foods. Don't get me wrong. I do enjoy the foods. I like vegetables. Uh, I am going a little bit more carnivore these days, just probably because it's summertime and, and we're grilling a lot and there's a lot of meats and, and stuff that we enjoy. But I'm also the mindset that you know, I have this addiction that I have to deal with day in and day out. And it has to be pretty much total abstinence for me. Um, my grandmother recently passed away and I went back to Indiana to see her or to, to bury her. And I saw my family and we had some foods that were non-keto and, and I allowed myself to enjoy them. But I could definitely tell that it's something that I have to be very, very careful with. It's not something that I can go back and forth all the time with because it's so easy to fall off the eating healthy train because I mean really I could go into the convenience store now and pick up a bag of Doritos and that was my poison I I loved Doritos um I have to I have to treat it as an addiction so I don't think I'll ever go back I do play around with my diet a little bit I do give myself just a little bit more freedom on if I'm going to a birthday party or something like that but I've earned it um, and I watch what I do 99% of the time and I give myself that 1%. But I also didn't cheat on this way of eating for the first 16, 17 months where a lot of people are like, oh, I need a cheat day every single month or once a week I need to cheat day. I didn't allow myself that because I knew that I had to keep control of my addiction to the carbohydrates and I was feeling better and I didn't want to lose that. Right. And especially with keto, if you really want to stay in ketosis, you can't cheat once a week, especially. And even once a month, uh, you know, it's it makes it pretty tough in. because it sets, yeah, it sets you back. I mean, if you truly want to be in ketosis. Right. Right. And for me, it's just, I, to me, it's not worth it anymore. At this point, after being just over two years keto, I feel good. I feel strong. I feel healthy. I have a clear mind. Um, I'm mentally present with my kids and my family. Um, something that I just, I didn't feel like a, looking back, I don't feel like I've been there as much as I am now. Now I'm able to get up and say, okay, let's go for a walk. Or, hey, when they say mom can hear, I actually get up and I go instead of going, oh, do I have to get out of my chair because it hurts so bad? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you don't want to go back to that at all. 
I don't. And I think with insulin resistance, you know, I remember my doctor saying, you know, you did years of damage to your body and it's going to take a while for it to heal. And you will have to be diligent. I don't have to be as strict as I was, but I do have to be diligent because A, it's easy to fall back into those old habits. And B, I don't know how my body would react after all the years of damage that I did to it, eating processed foods. I mean, that's that's what we ate growing up. So I don't know how my body re would react. And honestly, I don't want to find out. It's not worth right? it to me. Yeah, good for you. So Laura, um, you've done a great job at explaining your journey. So what do you have a passion for? Oh, goodness. Well, I have a passion for my family. I love my family, especially now that my husband's retired. Um, I love to garden. I have a big garden right behind here. I have a garden. I have cucumbers and peppers and onions and tomatoes and lettuce. So I like being outside and gardening and doing things like that. Um, I just, I am having a real passion for life these days and just trying new things and new experiences, things that I didn't do before because A, I hid behind my weight and I didn't feel good. So. Well, you're definitely an inspiration. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for inspiring others. Absolutely. So I'm a member of your uh, keto group um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not. I don't adhere to to, key, uh, to keto, to eating keto. Right. So who can be a member of your group and how do they find you? Uh, so it's called Keto Life with Laura. And right now it's just a very small group where I share my thoughts and feelings and emotions. It's a safe place for women, especially, uh, although there are some men in there. Um, people who want to know more, who want to learn how to cook more. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that I provide is ideas because I hear women all the time saying, I have absolutely no idea what I should make. Give me ideas for dinners. What should I make? How can I make this for my family? My family's not keto along with me. What can I do? So I think I give them resources and, and ideas and, and things like that. Uh, and it's a safe place for people to share and ask questions. So Keto Life with Laura is my is my small group. It's it's a safe place. There's no judgment. There's no um, keto police that drives me insane. I got kicked out of the I, keto group. I, I saw your post. I know. And that's one thing about keto people. They are so, some of them are so black and white and they, yeah. Um, right. I got kicked out of a keto group for saying saturated fats were not bad for you. So it's so ingrained in our society that fat is bad that I literally got kicked out of a keto group for saying that bacon and cream and butter, the saturated fats in them are not bad because they were trying to say that the fats were bad. And I was like, wait a second, isn't that part of the you whole would think, keto? Right, you would think a keto group, somebody in keto group would know that. I mean, you would think. But, but what was interesting is people were agreeing with this, this young lady who was saying all this stuff and I thought, wait a second, you're, you guys are in the wrong group. If this is what you really believe, <laughs> then you are in the wrong group. There's some some other groups out there. And, and keto is not for everybody. And I get that. The, the, the fat problem is, is the hardest problem for a lot of people. Being able to say that fat is okay, that was, that was a mental you know, wall that I had to really break down. And a lot of people can't get past that because they've been told for so long that, that fat yep. is bad. And Absolutely. I remember when my doctor told me, if you want to eat bacon, eat bacon. I was like, okay. Right. <laughs> but you know, you one thing about it, life. when it comes to bacon, I love bacon. I, I eat it probably, oh, I probably eat it five times this week. Um, but 
you know, I'll say that, and I like cottage bacon. And I'll say, oh, well, I want three pieces of cottage bacon, which is usually pretty big, right? Mm-hmm. And you just can't – it's hard to overeat it. It's it's satisfying. So it's really hard to overeat it. Yeah. Yeah. I love bacon. I have a T-shirt that says Body by Bacon on it. And I, that's my <laughs> I favorite that. T-shirt right now. <laughs> Especially because people look at me and they're like, really? Yeah. Really? She really eat bacon? <laughs> I really do. I'm known as the girl who likes bacon in, in some of the groups because I do, I use a lot of bacon in my food. To me, it's, it's one of those foods that I enjoy. It's, it's very satiating. Um, I love the salt in it because I am, I'm a salt person and I realized salt wasn't bad for you too. That was right? something else I had to learn is that salt in itself is not bad for yep. you. Salt mixed with carbohydrates, not as good. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, thank you, Laura, for being on. You've really uh, achieved our goal of educating and empowering others to take charge of their health. And, you know, keto is is a way to do that, For and it works for some people. So um, yet another, another example of an option that people can have to um, take charge of their own health. And that's what's so important. So thank you for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been enjoyable. All right. Yeah, let's stay in touch. And Thursday, you do not want to miss out. 8 to 9 a.m., we have Grace Steadfast on. She is a physical therapist, and she's going to be talking about uh, functional medicine and how that relates to her practice and her son's battle with autism and how she has um, dealt with that through physical therapy. So you don't want to miss out on that Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. Again, thank you so much, Laura, for being on today. And listeners and viewers thank you for tuning in we appreciate it you've been listening to health solutions with sean and janet needham thank you